Grace to you and peace from God our Father and from our Lord and our Savior Jesus Christ. Our text from the Holy Gospel, these words. On one occasion, while the crowd was pressing in on Jesus to hear the word of God, he was standing by the lake of Gennesaret, and he saw two boats by the lake, but the fishermen had gone out of them, and they were washing their nets and getting into one of the boats, which was Simon's. He asked him to put out a little from the land, and he sat down, and he taught the people from the boat. And when he had finished speaking, he said to Simon, Put out into the deep, let down your nets for a catch. And Simon answered, Master, we toiled all night and took nothing, but at your word I will let down the nets. This is our text, dear friends in Christ. Someone has said, and I think rather lightly, the only thing that casts any doubt upon the miracles of Jesus is that they were all witnessed to and reported by fishermen. Fishermen do indeed have a reputation for stretching the truth a bit, sort of like the man who had spent a fruitless day fishing, or perhaps we should say a fishless day fishing. He had nothing. He had fished from sunrise to late in the afternoon. He was determined that he wasn't about to go home to his wife without any fish to provide for the supper table. And so in desperation, he made a stop at the local fish market on the way home. He selected three fat fish from the display case. And then with a twinkle in his eye, he said to the clerk, now before you wrap them up, toss them to me carefully. One at a time, after all, I want to honestly be able to tell my wife that I caught him. That's stretching the truth quite a bit. The evangelist reporting the event of our text for today may well indeed be a fisherman. Though he's not, he's a physician. St. Luke was a physician who, at the beginning indeed of his gospel, tells that he investigated everything thoroughly in order to give a consecutive report of all that had happened in the life of our Lord Jesus Christ, a physician who investigated it all thoroughly. In addition to that, it is written indeed by the Holy Spirit himself who caused it, Scripture says, to be written for our learning. So this isn't simply the report of a fisherman that we have in today's text. It is indeed the report of the Holy Spirit himself through a physician who meticulously investigated the claims. The disciples had been fishing all night, and as the report tells us, they had caught nothing and they weren't fishing for a hobby. These were experienced fishermen. These men fished for a livelihood. It was a business to them, even as it was for hundreds of others who were out there fishing on the Lake of Gennesaret. No one also as the Sea of Galilee. Not a hobby, a business that they took seriously. The industry, indeed, of the whole area, in fact, the towns around the Sea of Galilee had names that reflected this fishing industry that was so popular there. Tarakia, for example, the Greek name for the Hebrew city of Magdala, it meant to smoke or to preserve fish. It was a pickling place, probably a town where people were employed for packing, and then for exporting fish all around the Mediterranean area. Bethsaida, 
means the house of fish, another town nearby, or more loosely, fish town. And at least four of the fishermen who followed Jesus came from the town of Bethsaida. Most of the town's men were employed in the fishing business. This was indeed the northern Minnesota, or the Wisconsin of Israel. And of course, after bringing in the day's catch, fishermen still had to do what fishermen always have to do. They had to, to mend their nets. They had to wash the nets out. They had to repair and maintain the boats. They had to preserve the fish. They had to bargain then with the local merchants in order to sell or to trade the catch that they had acquired. It was an exhausting job. It wasn't a, a nine to five kind of a job that you did for five days a week. It involved a lot of late night, in fact, all night fishing and then coming in because it was during the night that the surface of the water at night would be cool, the fish would rise, the catch was easier during the day, the sun's rays, especially there in the Mideast, would penetrate through the waters, driving the fish into the deeper depths of those cold waters. Much harder to get a catch during the day. And so when our text says that they were washing and that they were cleaning their nets, it's really telling us that they had already finished the bulk of the work that they would do in that day's time. They'd been all night fishing. They were ready, having cleaned the nets to go home because there was nothing to trade and nothing to sell because they had caught nothing. This was one of those days that the fishermen dreaded. Not only would they be tired from trying so hard, but they were frustrated because they had tried so hard and they had so little to show for it. In fact, these men had toiled all night and they had, as the text says, nothing. Nothing in their nets, nothing to show for it. Disappointed, to say the least, discouraged, undoubtedly disheartened, to be sure. And you've been there too, haven't you? In your own life, in your own occupation perhaps you've been there with nothing in your nets I mean you worked hard at what you did morning to night spending well perhaps over an hour driving to work an hour driving from work at the end of a hard day and then suddenly you're notified that you don't have a job anymore and you're unemployed it seems like the net has nothing in it You worked hard at your marriage, but it obviously wasn't hard enough. Empty net. You did everything your husband or your wife for them that the doctor said that you should do, but it wasn't to be. Empty net. You gave your kids everything that you could, and you brought them here and there and everywhere. You brought them here on Sunday morning, instructed them in the word of truth, and now the word and sacrament which alone brings them the forgiveness of sins isn't a priority for them in their life anymore. Empty net. You worked hard at what you did, but it didn't turn out the way that you thought it would. That empty net feeling, as empty as the nets of those fishermen that day at the Lake of Gennesaret. We've all been there in one way or the other. And Jesus came on to them, the text says. The crowd pressing in on him, they said, because they all, in one way or the other, had their own empty nets to bring him. And 
Jesus saw two boats just sitting there. Boats that were vacated because they weren't being used. Nothing was being accomplished in them. Unused, vacated boats. And Jesus takes what is vacated because of man's inability to come up with anything and he changes it into a pulpit from which he proclaims the word of God that created everything. The word of God, which as it had done on the fifth day of creation of earth's time, caused empty waters to teem with fish, now does that same thing once again on a much smaller scale, of course, for a much smaller miracle, namely filling the empty nets of the fishermen in Galilee rather than filling with fish the oceans of the world. And at sermon's end, Jesus turns to Simon Peter and he says, Put now out into the deep. I've preached the word to you. I've shared the word. Now put out into the deep. and Put down your nets for a catch. And what happens? A miracle happens. A miracle, and I'm not talking about that simple miracle of fish suddenly filling these mended nets of Peter. I'm talking rather about the miracle of faith that is created within the mended heart of Peter. Because that's really where the miracle of this day is at. Not so much in the nets being filled, but in the heart of Peter being filled with faith that enabled him to look at the master and see him for who he was. Think about the divinely arranged sequence of these things. Peter, first of all, hears the word of God, which works faith then within his heart, a faith which then responds in obedience, in immediate confident obedience that only faith knows that only faith can produce. Master, we toiled all night and we took nothing, but at your word I will let down the nets. Faith speaking what before hearing the word it would never have said. But now it's heard the word. A God-generated faith producing faith-generated works, works which dare to do what the word of God says to do even when it flies in the face of conventional wisdom or vocational experience or human reason. Don't you think that's what happened for, for Peter and for his companions who in faith did what Peter told them, what Jesus told them to do in that day? It was all flying in the face of conventional wisdom. Don't you think that a good number of faithless fishermen who were there in the shore that day looked at these men going out in the boats at the, in the middle of the day like they were doing when you certainly don't catch fish? And don't you think that the experienced fishermen who were there and who had had days like this before, seasoned fishermen who knew and had learned from their fishermen fathers a few tried and true fishermen rules, including the most basic of them all, that you, you fish at night, not during the middle of the day. Don't you think that they must have looked at these disciples going out in the boat and laughed and scorned? Not this day would they laugh and scorn long. Not the day when Jesus says, Simon, put out into the deep and let down your, your nets for a catch. And Simon Peter's faith and word-generated faith says, At your word, Lord, we fished all night and we got nothing, but at your word we'll simply put down the nets. Let them raise their eyebrows as we push off the shore. Let them laugh as we row out into the deep. Let them make us the brunt of their jokes as they see us lower the nets into the water. But at your word, Lord, at your word, we will put down the nets. Faith did 
what the Word of God told it to do. And the Word of God did what it said it would do. In fact, the nets of Simon's boat were so full of fish, Scripture tells us that they began breaking, and the boats of Simon's friends, John and James, so full of fish that they began sinking. God in the flesh, right there, doing far more abundantly than all that we can ask or we can possibly imagine or think. Any wonder that Simon Peter, now sweaty from pulling in all of these fish into his boat, fish that were flopping all about him, any wonder that he would, in the midst of it all, look up to Jesus, standing tall in the bow of the boat, perhaps ten foot away from him, any wonder that he would have felt like Isaiah in the Old Testament lesson today as Isaiah stood in the very presence of God himself in the temple of God, hearing the seraphim shouting out, Holy, 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 Lord God of Sabaoth, heaven and earth is full of thy glory, even as we sing in our liturgy as we approach the altar to receive the Christ himself. Any wonder that Peter in the boat would have had that same sense that Isaiah had as he was there in the temple that we heard about in the Old Testament lesson this morning. And here Simon Peter within 10 feet of where God in flesh stands on earth before him. Any wonder that he falls penitently and humbly to his knees and he says, Depart from me, for I am a sinful man, O Lord. You began this day, but a few moments ago, with no less a confession than either Peter or Isaiah made in the texts for today. Simon Peter in the boat at sea, remember, called himself a sinful man, as we just heard. Isaiah of old, in heaven's temple, calls himself what? Unclean. And isn't it significant and interesting that in our liturgy then, you'd have both the words sinful and unclean in what you confessed this morning. The uncleanness of which Isaiah spoke, the sinfulness of which Peter spoke, and you said and you confessed, most merciful God, we confess that we are by nature sinful, like Peter, and unclean, like Isaiah. Your words, no less a confession than these words of these saints of old. And your forgiveness, no less than that granted both Peter in the boat and Isaiah in the temple. Peter who heard the forgiving fear not of the Lord, the absolution which then freed him to confess Jesus as the Christ before men in his day, even as that same word of absolution in our day frees us and forgives you and then frees you to confess Jesus Christ before men in our day, that you too might be doing what Peter did, catching men, if you will, through that confession of Christ that we make. That same forgiveness granted Isaiah as the angelic seraphim with coal from the altar touched Isaiah's lips saying, Behold, this has touched your lips. Your guilt now is taken away. Your sin is atoned for. And so for you today, even something greater touches your lips. Today, the very body and the very blood of Jesus Christ touches your lips, taking all of your sins, guilt away from you. The answer of our Lord's call by which Isaiah says then, 
Here, O Lord, I am, send me, send me. That same word, that same enfleshed Christ enabling you to do the very same thing throughout the ages. The, the power of Christ's word has been going out in the deep with the, with the Isaiahs and with the Simons of the ages. And with the likes of you and me, the unclean made clean, sinners made saints, the unholy made holy. All of us who have in one way or the other simply thought that we were on top of things and that we were on in control of things only to find out in the end that we weren't. And even then, when we find out in the course of life that we're not in control of things like we think we so often are, even then how re reluctant we are to give up our little controllers. One contemporary writer has put it this way. He says, being in control has become an addiction for people in our age, and not just for the Google generations. When was the last time that you didn't have some sort of control device in your hand or on your person? A remote, a cell phone, a Blackberry, a laptop, OnStar, Brinks, GPS, all are controllers. We like to think of ourselves as being in control of things, even though we're not. And when we're so far out in the deep that we've lost all control and we're overwhelmed and we're overcome by it all, how good it is then, how very good it is then to have Christ Jesus at our side. How good it is to know that he's gone out into the deep with us and not as a mascot who merely follows at our heels to do our bidding whenever we call upon him to do so because we're in over our heads so far. No, Jesus is no mascot. He is what Simon Peter called him, Master, Epistates, the one with whom rests the control of our lives, the one with whom rests our destiny and our eternity. So, Master, at your word I let down the nets, at your word, in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit. Amen.